Hey, this is Frank Egan, president of Amspirit Business Connections and the host of the Networking Rx podcast. If you want to learn the six and seven figure science to success, significantly increase your revenue and learn how to successfully build professional relationships, you should be listening to the Sell Without Selling podcast with my good friend, Stacey O'Byrne. If you're ready to get out of your own way to follow the seven-figure science of success, then welcome to Sell Without Selling. Tune in with renowned international speaker Stacey O'Byrne as she shows you how mastering relationships, achieving the proper mindset, and attaining the necessary motivation will catapult you away from failure and onto your journey to greatness. And now, here is your host, Stacey O'Byrne. Hi, I'm Stacey O'Byrne. And I get to hang out with successful entrepreneurs, business owners, sales professionals, and some of the top business influencers and thought leaders in the world. You see, I believe that it's important to learn the art and science of how to sell without selling. And that is the only way to achieve six and seven figure success. So if you want to be a success magnet, attract quality people in your network and significantly increase your sales and ultimately your success, then you're in the right place because this is the Sell Without Selling podcast. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Sell Without Selling. I'm your host, Stacey O'Byrne, and today I'm speaking with a really good friend of mine, Frank Agan. Frank Agan is the president of Am Spirit Business Connections, an organization that empowers entrepreneurs, sales representatives, and professionals to become successful through networking. He is also the host of the Networking Rx podcast, a weekly short form podcast with insights and interviews related to better business relationships. And he narrates the Networking Rx Minute, a micro podcast with daily ideas and inspiration. Finally, Frank is the author of several books, including Foundational Networking, Creating, Know, Like, and Trust for a Long Time of Extraordinary Success. I believe that learning the art and the science of how to sell without selling is the only way to achieve high six and seven figure success. I'm so excited for you to hear today's conversation with Frank. He has a lot of golden nuggets to share with you, and it's a really awesome conversation. I'm excited to get into it really quick. If you're a business owner, entrepreneur, or sales professional, and you haven't hit the level of success that you've wanted or needed, or if you're stuck in needing a pivot in your business, in your success, or you just want more, and you understand the importance of having a coach to help identify the blind spots, increase accountability, and help with success strategies to take you, your business, your income, and your success to the next level. If this sounds like something for you, then head over to pivotpointadvantage.com slash I want success. That's pivotpointadvantage.com slash I want success. There's a quick application there that will lead to a phone call with me to see if we're a great fit for each other. All right, let's get on with it. Frank, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, gold nuggets. They might be fool's gold, maybe silver. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I'm excited to have you on the show. So we were thanks. talking. We were talking earlier, and as a matter of fact, we were talking a couple of days ago. I'm really excited for our listeners to get a glimpse of what success means to you. You know what? For me, success is being able to do what you want to do, really on your own terms. I mean, mm. you know, success is not money, right? Mm -hmm. School teachers don't make a lot of money, but they 
for the most part, they're doing what they would love to do. And I get it. Not There are certainly problems with school teachers. It's one example. But, you know, for me, I have a law degree. I have an MBA. I have a CPA. I have more letters after my name than in my name. And I had a very prestigious job with a very big accounting firm doing tax consulting. And it was a great place and great people. But I wasn't happy. Really? passion. It was not, it wasn't my passion, just kind of working and nosing the tax code. It just, it wasn't for me. I'm a people mm-hmm. person. And if Sunday nights are miserable, you need to do something else. Oh, I love that. I love that. What I'm curious, what got you to pursue a path of accounting and law? I think for the most part, it's, we play into these social norms. Mm-hmm. This is what I'll call them. You know, mm-hmm. I went to college. I went to a small college. I went to go play football. It's all I wanted to do. But I didn't want to get kicked off the team. So I studied real hard and ended up with great grades and a great education from a, a wonderful liberal arts college in Wisconsin. I remember my junior year, they said, hey, well, what are you going to do with your life? And I'm like, oh, you know, this is the, the mid 80s. I think I want to go back to my little hometown in Michigan and open up a video store. I thought that would be the coolest thing in the world. I loved watching movies, you know. Now, looking back, that would have been a horrible mistake knowing where we're at right now. But at the time, VCRs were just becoming popular. That was Mm -hmm. like state of the art. But at any rate, they said, you can't do that. You've got these great grades. This is a great college. And that led me to going to law school. I got into the, the Ohio State University, got into their joint degree program. So I was getting an MBA and a law degree. It's like, you know, drive, drive, drive. You know, okay, what are you going to do with this? You know, and, and there was always this entrepreneurial pull. And uh, even when I was in law school, I was starting to, you know, I was looking, you know, wanted to create a consulting business mm-hmm. on my own terms, consulting with entrepreneurs. And you know, nobody's saying this, but, you know, all the firms that are coming in, they're, you know, they're these big firms, you know, that's the social norm and you get caught up in that wave. And so I got a job with this firm and to a degree, it becomes golden handcuffs. People make yeah. a lot of money. They get into debt. And unfortunately, I didn't, you know, I made decent money. About two years in, I realized I had made a wrong decision. I started saving and never really incurred the debt, but ended up sticking around for six years and had enough then that I could say, you know what, I, I, I'm not, not retired, but I can try and retool this. So mm-hmm. to answer your question, it was just just trying to do what the world thought I should do. Wow. Okay. So I'm curious, you went from corporate to entrepreneurism. Did you stay an accountant or an attorney, or did you just completely flip and choose a different career in entrepreneurism? Great question, Stacy. I knew two years in, as I indicated, that I kind of wanted to roll out. And then I just mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm going to stick around. I'm going to stick around for five years because there was pension money. It wasn't a great deal, but it's like, I might as well take it. Just trying to figure out what I wanted to do. You know, I talked to a lot of recruiters. I thought I'd maybe go get into a company and she's, and they're all like, well, you're a tax person. You're always going to be a tax person. Mm-hmm. No, I don't want to be a tax person. That's my point. Well, that's, mm-hmm. that's your brand at this point. You know, I got an insurance license. I was licensed to sell life insurance. Thought maybe that would be a way to go. And that didn't really float my boat either. Ultimately, I just decided, you know what, the next best step for me is to go into private practice and see what comes of it. Because Mm. when you're in private practice and you're working with small businesses, I was a small business attorney, you run into opportunities. And I did. I ran into a couple opportunities, one I'm doing now and another one I was kind of in for a while and sold out of. But um, that was the step. I just figured Mm -hmm. I kind of had to take that step back to, Mm -hmm. but it was still law. Law was kind of the entry point. Okay. So I just heard one I'm still in. You know, the one common denominator I see with a lot of successful people is they're involved in, in more than just one 
thing. So how many different businesses do you have your hands in? At this point, just one, just Samsung Business Connections. There was a point where I had a client you know, interesting story because he, he was referred to me. They said, you know, hey, this guy needs a will. I met with the guy. He's like, I don't need a will. I'm single. I, you know, I don't have anything. I don't need a will. I just told my insurance agent that so he wouldn't know what I was doing. And he was, <laughs> he was very big, is very big into the uh, soft drink beverage industry, like off-brand things you'll, you know, it's not Coke, Pepsi, but he would find old brands, nostalgic brands and resurrect them. So I helped him for a number of years and he invited me to become a partner on a brand at one point. The name of the the root beer is Frost Top Root Beer. They continue to market it. But anyhow, five, six years ago, an investor came along and said, hey, we want to build a plant in Omaha. You know, we need to have a stake in this. And they wanted 50%. And so it was either he and I sell 25% or I just said, Dan, this is your baby. You thank mm-hmm. you for the gift. You know, I, I didn't have to buy in. I just literally had to put my sweat equity in, my legal, my legal, my numbers, abilities in. I said, why don't you just have them buy me out and then you can uh, roll forward with it. So nice. I cashed out and, you know, it's, uh, it's nice. It didn't change my world, but mm-hmm. uh, I don't know that I want my world changed, right? I right. mean, it's, I'm not about retirement. Yeah. So what made you make the switch? So taxes, attorney, I see the dissimilation. I mm-hmm. see the the relationship. Networking, far extreme. Yeah. <laughs> What drew you to that? Yeah, that's a great question. It's a good story. I tell people when I left public accounting and went into private practice that a funny thing happened. And the funny thing is that nothing happened. I had (laughs) no idea how to get clients. You've been to networking events, right? You've been to networking events and there's that bad actor there who's shoving his cards and just making an a-hole of himself, right? Yeah. That was me. I was the poster child for about six weeks. I was the guy. And I didn't know how to sell myself. I didn't know what to do. So one day I had lunch with a friend of mine who was all went to law school with. And there's a saying in law school, and the saying is, is that A students become professors, B students become judges, and C students become millionaires. And there's a lot of truth to that because when you do well in those professional schools, you you get the job with the golden handcuffs. Mm-hmm. A lot out of the gate and they just churn you. But when you're a C student, that doesn't happen, right? You got to figure it out. Yep. A lot of C students get into entrepreneurial things, small businesses. They get into risky things, and we know that risky things lead to reward. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened with her is that she had left and started her own practice. And I just like, what do I need to do? What do I need to do to be successful? I do not want to go begging for my job back. She said, one of the things she said was, you need to get into a tips club, a leads group. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea what she was talking about, but I found myself in February of 1995 at a meeting with five or six other people who were looking to start a chapter of this organization that brought together entrepreneurs, sales reps, and professionals into a weekly meeting where they learned about each other and referred each other. Mm-hmm. Very similar to your team business, mm-hmm. yep. right? B&I, some people are familiar with. And when I sat down at that meeting, immediately made so much sense. I can brag about you all day long yep. and at the end of the day, feel energized. If I talk about myself and try and brag on myself for 15 minutes, it's exhausting. And I could lift my world by helping these people become more successful. Nice. Give to others, it's going to come back to you. And I saw yeah. that right away. And so I really kind of doubled down on that. And and uh, there's a woman who was in the join the same week I did. 
it's 25 years now. We are, you know, I call her my second sister. I mean, she's, we're great friends. So anyhow, I was in this group, you know, just kind of building my law practice and they made me the president of this new chapter. And I got really involved. And the woman who had started it, she had been involved with LATIP and she'd moved back to Pittsburgh to start LATIP and something didn't work out there. And so she left LATIP and started her own organization. It was called Network Professionals. And um, she put me on an advisory board. So I was on an advisory board with other little regions that she had going. Other, Well, other regions, not little regions. There was Pittsburgh. There was Cleveland. There was central Pennsylvania. There was a lot going on. So I had opportunities to talk to her from time to time. And one day I was having a conversation with her in May of 1997. And she put me on hold and got back on the call. And she, she said, hey, uh, you know, the guy who's running the Columbus, Ohio market where I was at, he just called in to quit. I'm like, oh, mm. really? And I asked her, I said, well, what are you going to do? Because there weren't a lot of things going on in Columbus, but there was enough. And she said, I got to be honest with you. You know, I'm, you know, I'm a fast approaching 60 years old. When I started those groups, I would get up at three in the morning to drive three hours from Pittsburgh to Columbus. Yeah. And she, I don't want to do that anymore. To be perfectly honest, I want to start to franchise this thing. It was actually, she called it a license, but technically it was a franchise. But at any rate, type of law I practice is business. And so as she's telling me this story, I'm working a calculator. And I told her in that conversation, I'll do it. I'll be your first franchisee. Mm-hmm. 15 days later, I took over as her first franchisee. And I still practice law because I could. I really went all in on it. We were probably her smallest territory at that point in time. Mm-hmm. Within a year, we were number one. Wow. Within three years, we were bigger than half her operation. And wow. part of it is I had a real love for it. The other part I joke about is my my wife saw me write the check to... <laughs> um, to buy the franchise, right? You know, I loved it. And then at one point in 2003, she was nearing retirement. She kind of wanted to cash out and I bought out what I had. I bought out the Columbus area. Part of that was I had to change the name and and I was, you know, stumbling on a name, trying to figure out a name and, and uh, you know, it all sounded the same, same network professionals, Business Network International, blah, 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 International Referral Exchange. They all sounded the same. And I wanted something that I could really trademark and protect. And mm-hmm. years earlier, when I was in law school, I'd come up with this term, "am spirit," short for American spirit. You know, the American mm-hmm. enterprise. You know, the spirit of the American enterprise. And I'm like, okay, I'll just use that, "am spirit." And nice. uh, so that was really kind of the transition. That all unveiled in 2004, and I uh, essentially stopped the practice of law completely at that point. So, so kind of what I'm hearing is the secret to success is to have skin in the game, open-mindedness, flexibility, passion, and a vision. Yeah. Yeah. yeah hard work too, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you've got to love what you do. And I, I don't care what it is. I, I see insurance agents out there and I wouldn't be happy being an insurance agent, but they love what they do. You know, in their mind, they really... We all help people, but they that really resonates with them. To sit down with somebody and, and help somebody save money or get the right coverages, that wouldn't speak to me, but it speaks to them. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. It's just that's they do wonderful because of that. So I'm curious, what inspires you? What makes you get out of bed, put your feet on the floor and say, look out day, here I come? It's really the opportunity to help other people. You know, nice. yeah, at the end of the day, Stacy, I need to eat. Mm-hmm. I have a house payment utilities, kids to get through college. I, you know, I have expenses and need money. So I'm not trying to say what I do is this great altruistic. I come to work and work for nothing kind of a Mm -hmm, thing. mm -hmm. It is a business. There are fees associated with it, but I really get a kick out of 
trying to help people find more success through the people around them. You probably share the same stories because you you do similar things. But, you know, the accountant who comes to me and he's just left working for the big corporation because he got downsized, comes to the organization with, you know, two clients. One is probably his mom. Right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, and then and then seeing five years later, him having his partner buy him out, you know, grown and he's got employees, got a partner who's buying him out and he's ready to retire. Mm-hmm. That's exciting. Now, it's yeah. it's his work. I get it. I'm not taking credit for any of that, but I had a hand in it. I had a hand in directing him, and there's a lot of satisfaction in that for me. That's what really drives me, and, and almost to a fault, I've started to get more into my numbers, my finances, but there were a number of years there where my wife would come in and do the books. I didn't even really look. I would look mm-hmm. when I'd do the tax return, and that would be it. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I'm a little more engaged in it, but that's just, I, you know, I didn't, I'm not worried about, you know, if you take care of people, the money will take care of itself in time. Agreed. Agreed. You know, you still have to watch the numbers and what you're spending and things like that. But that top line, if you take care of people, it takes care of itself. I think the biggest mistake that entrepreneurs, business owners, and sales professionals make is they chase the dollar. And, yeah. you know, the, the metaphor I use is, is a dog. What happens if you chase a dog? They run. Yeah. Well, yeah. money's no different because money's energy just like a dog is. So yeah. if you stand there, you be of service, you you have an open heart, loving and caring, and you're there to help and serve, they're going to come to you. They absolutely are. It's about showing up for the right reasons. Yeah. In fact, I had a guy on my podcast, Michael Mayer, who is a big referral person, does a lot of speaking on referral, mainly in the real estate industry. What he said, he says, is the reason that people don't get what they want is they're too busy trying to get what they want, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and when you, mm-hmm. when I heard that, I'm like, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. Did I miss something? <laughs> um, no, it makes so much sense. And you see it, you see it. They're so, they're so eager about trying to get what they want that they just, they miss the bigger opportunities that are out there. Yeah. So what's the best advice that you can give someone who hasn't achieved success that they've wanted yet? Well, I think the best advice is to figure out for yourself really what drives you. People ask me all from a networking perspective, people will say, what's the best way to get networked? They're looking for this secret thing. And and what I share with people is find out what you're passionate about and then go find an organization to volunteer mm-hmm. because that'll instantly network you in the, all the right ways. You're there for the right reasons. You're showing up to help and you're doing with people who are just as passionate about whatever it is as you are. And they're going to find out about you and, and things will come your way. And that's certainly a great strategy, but to really be successful, you've got to find that thing that that you're passionate about, Mm -hmm. whatever it is. And we really live in a great time, you know, growing up and not that I'm that old, but you know, it's, there was a time when I was in high school and college where it was like, do you want to be a police officer, fireman or accountant? (laughs) The astronaut, the doctor. Yeah, right. There there (laughs) there There were these eight or nine buckets that you could fit into. Podcasting wasn't one of them. Now I don't, make money on podcasting directly opens a lot of doors. You Mm -hmm. and I met because of that. But there are people out there who make money podcasting. They would probably have never gotten a whiff from any sort of radio station. People make money doing YouTube videos. And we can can laugh about these things, but some of these videos are very educational, you know, very well done. It's a profession. Mm -hmm. Yes, some of them are funny. You know, they're playing games or they're playing pranks on people and those are fun to watch, but they're happy. And, And so I think... When I say it's a wonderful time, there's a lot of different things that you can do. Mm-hmm. My, my daughter just graduated college and trying to help her find a job. And I just told her, I said, Logan, you know, you love soccer. You know, think about how you could just have that love for soccer and 
turn it into something. And I don't know what it looks like. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it looks like. And maybe it's not right out of the gate. Maybe it's just kind of a side hustle thing that you're doing. But when you're really passionate about something, you're going to put in the time. Absolutely. You never feel like you'll work a day in your life when you love what you do. Yeah. I worked at that firm until December 31st, 1994. January 1 of 95, I was self-employed and I had a home office to start out with. And when that phone rang on Saturday morning, I was up out of bed. You know, Mm. I didn't mind working. I didn't mind. I still don't mind working late. I don't mind going home and turning the TV on and just, you know, having the ball game on in the background and working till all hours. It's mine but you have to be passionate about it. Yeah. So I'm curious, can you talk to us about what role you think a person plays in their ability to close business and be successful? Well, I think it's probably 100%. It's how you show up. You know, it's how you demonstrate, you know, you know, whether you care or not. Obviously, you, that's assuming somebody has a need for what it is you sell. I mean, being mm-hmm. a nice person and giving to the world, you know, you're still not going to sell ice cubes to Eskimos, right? Correct. You know, I, in fact, I had, a, I had a great conversation yesterday with a financial advisor on the D.C. area. And I told her the same thing. I said, you know, she was kind of asking my advice on, you know, hey, you know, what are your thoughts on networking and reaching out to clients, you know, in this COVID environment? And I told her, I said, Make a list of your clients, make a list of your prospects, and I want you to call each and every one of them and have a conversation that is something like, how are you doing? Mm -hmm. I don't want to talk about finances. I just want to see how you're doing. You always know if you have questions, you can come to me on finances. How are you doing? What Really just a ton of empathy. And I told her, I said, I I know that's the key. I know that's the key because that develops the relationship. There was a study that was done in 1965. And what they did is they took a guy and generally very sexist, but men worked back then. Women stayed home. That's just the way it was. And right or wrong, that's just the way it was. So they took this guy and eight hours a day, he went to work and worked alongside of another guy. And then the other eight hours, he went home and lived with the guy. And, you know, obviously got up in the morning, seven to nine o'clock. They spent <laughs> together. Um, and then in the evenings, they'd spend time together. Mm-hmm. And then when this was done after three months, they sat down and measured where the relation, who had, where he had the better relationship, the person he spent time at home with or the person he was at work with. Mm-hmm. Equal amount of time. And hands down, it was the person he spent personal time with. Yeah. Why? Because it was conversations about the ball game. Ah, oh, when I was a little kid, I wanted to be a relief pitcher and my dad coached me. And those personal things are the things that relationships are built from. And if you're a financial planner, not to pick on financial planners or any, and you're calling your clients and saying, hey, I'm here for you. What kind of financial questions do you have? It's tactical, right? They have a wall that's going up. They're afraid that they're being sold to. But if, you know, as I told this young woman, I'm like, listen, if you, if you just make it personal, make it personal, find out about them, not too personal, but just, oh, you know, you see the kid who graduated high school, where's he going? What's he want Mm -hmm. to do? Oh, he's looking to do this. You know, I've got a client I could hook him up with. Those are the little things that kind of build things. And, but have these conversations and then take notes. Yeah. Take notes. And I got this idea from a professional speaker friend of mine, guy by the name of Matt Ward, who's uh, out in the Boston area. And what he advises doing is act on those personal things. He calls them care packages. You know, somebody says, oh, yeah, you know, I, this is what I'm really missing. You know, I'm missing whatever it is. Or I'm into baseball. You know, you do something related to that. You know, maybe you should buy him a baseball cap. You know, hey, I happen to be traveling and I saw this baseball cap. It made me think of you. Mm-hmm. Rather than sending them, hey, I'm thinking of you. Here's all sorts of stuff on our firm. You know, that's tactical. Right. 
So I think that, you know, the, those are the types of things that we need to try and try and execute on. Nice. So, so this is one of my favorite questions to ask someone who is absolutely entrenched into a networking environment. A few weeks ago, I had interviewed Kelly Holmes, who was the CEO and founder of Team Referral Network. Uh-huh. And Frank, you're the president and the founder of AmSpirit Business Connections, which is a category networking referral group, just like Team Referral Network is. So I'm curious, what is networking to you? For me, networking is two or more people working towards their mutual benefit. Mm-hmm. People coming together and trying to figure out how they can both succeed through each other, not from each other, but through each other. That's essentially what it is. I like that. Tell me about a time when a connection to someone led to a big opportunity for you through networking. Oh, wow. A question I had on my podcast for years is, tell me about a favorite book that you've read. And I could always tell if somebody was a big reader because they would stumble on that, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, if you read two books, it's one or the other. It's pretty simple. Yeah. Um, you know, there've been so many, you know, so many great opportunities. I shared the one about the Frost Top Root Beer. That was a, mm-hmm. that was a referral. And that guy is, his name's Dan Myers. He's still a great friend. We were in business together for 15 years. It's really so hard to say. Sometimes we make connections and they don't manifest themselves into things for years. Yeah, I agree. You know, they don't. And uh, I have a franchisee out in Boston. Uh, well, the guy had mentioned Matt Ward, and um, he was somebody that I connected with through LinkedIn. You know, we knew each other probably six months before he finally just came to me. And I never pitched him. He had like to buy a franchise. This sounds really cool. You know, and it's just, you know, it was in that six, during that six months, it was a lot of me. Hey, Matt, what do you need? Hey, Frank, what do you need? Mm-hmm. You know, and we're helping each other and we're developing this, re- you know, we're no like and trust, right? Yeah. I'm sure you talk about it all the time. We developed this relationship and he got a sense as to what I was about. And I certainly got a sense as to what he was about. You know, I, you know, it's so hard to pinpoint there. I mean, there's so many great things, you know, my life is stitched together with all these opportunities. I mean, here's a neat thing that's just happened. My son's a sophomore in college doing really well. And um, he can't, I mean, everything going on, all the, all the internships are gone. If yeah. they're happening at all, they're, they're gone. Yep. And he, he recognized that. And so, you know, we have a power washer at home and he's like, yeah, you know, dad, I'm just going to start a business power washing. Right. Mm-hmm. So he kind of looks at my network and he says, Hey, would you introduce me to this guy, a guy by the name of Hank Zaborniak, who owns a painting franchise. Hey, Hank, would you talk to my son? This is what he's doing. And Hank's like, oh yeah, that would be great. I mean, to be perfectly honest, my guys don't like to power wash and we need to power wash every house before we paint it. So I can just set your son up with that. You know, he's going to power wash probably 30, 40 houses this summer. You know, that's a relationship that was built over years. Yep. Now, am I going to see any money of that? Probably not, but my son is, and that's okay, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's keeping him engaged and out of trouble. So I think, you know, a lot of neat opportunities. I think that's a perfect answer because reality is this. If you're an avid networker, if you really get the concept and the idea of working with each other, then they manifest themselves in so many different ways and so many different times. And, you know, some of them take a week and some of them take a decade. There's no right or wrong. It's about an investment and relationship and making sure it's a win-win or a win-win-win. So I think not being able to narrow it down. If somebody asked me, I'd have like three or four. 
Yeah. You know, it's it's the introduction to Les Brown. It was the it was the introduction to John Maxwell. It was it was co-authoring a book with Jack Canfield and co-authoring another book with Jay Abrams. I, I could go on and on. It it's really about who you know and how you show up to be of service. And it just eventually comes back tenfold. Yeah. No, it, it I mean it's absolutely true. I always tell people that networking works. You just can't say when it's gonna work. Yeah. Might be 20 years from now. Uh-huh. You can't say how it's going to work. You know, my relationship with the painter, in my mind, it's paid off. I never would have predicted that. Mm-hmm. And you can't really say where it's going to work. I mean, people mm-hmm. go to networking events and they expect, okay, I'm here. Something should happen, <laughs> right? right? And I'll run into people at the grocery store, mm-hmm. you know, and saying, hey, yeah, we need to get back in touch. I didn't go to the, I went to the grocery store to get milk and eggs, right? I didn't go there, you know, for a speaking opportunity or, or whatever else. But yep. But it worked. Yeah. So. yeah, absolutely. So I'm curious, what's the best advice that you can give to someone who's looking to increase their professional network in the next year? Oh, I, I touched on it earlier. I really think volunteering is huge. I Good. really think it's I think it's huge from a number of standpoints. Because when people hear networking, a lot of people have this aversion. Oh my gosh. Stacy's coaching me to go into a room full of strangers. <laughs> um, and that's scary. And the reality is supposed to be scary because as humans, we developed eons ago, millennia ago, in small tribes of about 150 clans or tribes, what do you call them? And you mm-hmm. didn't see anybody else. You mm-hmm. saw your tribe. Mm-hmm. And when you saw another tribe, there was an issue. They, yeah. were coming to, they were coming to take your women. They were coming to, to overrun your camp, whatever it might be. So we have this natural aversion to meeting people. But I think with, with volunteering, you show up and you're not there to get. You're there truly to serve. And so there really is very low risk that anybody's going to reject you. They're going to be happier there. Oh, my God. Thank you for being here. We need help. Yeah. We need help sorting cans. We need help doing this. We need we need help with accounting, our newsletter, all sorts of stuff. But the other interesting thing about it is when you show up, you're showing up to work with people who've come out of their corner of, mm-hmm. of the world. and. So you're kind of instantly networked and they're going to find when I do a lot of volunteer type stuff. There's one organization I've created in town where I bring not for profits together and have them network with each other. Mm-hmm. I never talk about AM spirit. Never. I don't mention it at all. I just say I'm, I run an organization in town. It's about networking. Now, people figure it out. I'm not trying. I don't change my name or anything like that, but I don't talk about it. But people will figure it out. The other neat thing about about volunteering is you're coming into this world with other people but they're all coming from diverse backgrounds. You've heard the story. You've heard Kevin Bacon game, right? Yeah. You play the, well, they, they did research on that through the uh, Screen Actors Guild database. Mm-hmm. And so with that data, I mean, we could do so much with data anymore. With that data, they figured out that how connected different actors are from mm-hmm. one another. And a guy like John Wayne, who did 150 movies, ranks only 150 on the list. He has more, probably more movies than most people. Mm-hmm. Gary Cooper, kind of the same thing. Lots of movies, but not real well connected. Yep. And then you got a guy like Burgess Meredith, right? Who probably did about two thirds of those their movies. And he's in the top 20. Why? Because Burgess Meredith did all sorts of different movies. He was in Rocky. He was in dramas. He was in horror movies. He was voiceover and animation. What did John Wayne do? Westerns. Yeah. Hung with the same people, you know, they all look the same. And so the point to that story, that research tells me 
is that you need to have a diverse network. You need to operate in different worlds. Get involved in your church. Get involved with something in the community or kids' school. If it's cancer awareness or some sort of cancer, you know, get involved in that. You know, have all these different pockets. That's what really builds your network if you really want to kind of build it over a year. That's phenomenal advice, diversification and flexibility. I love that, Frank. Absolutely love that. So I'm curious, how important do you think coaching and mentorship is to someone's ability to be able to achieve success and why? Well, the reality is we do nothing alone. We don't. Um, You might like to think you do, but you don't. I have this conversation conversation with my kids, you know, and they just, you know, they've they're young and they've got this, I can do anything mentality. And mm-hmm. I think that's great. But in reality, you know, they need to realize that there are other people out there and they've gotten to this point because they've had help and, and they're going to need help getting to the next point as well. Mm-hmm. Coaching is important. I have been involved in coaching and mastermind on and off for probably the last 20 years. And, and the reality is, Stacy, I have one perspective, mine. I have a sample size of one, mine. Yeah right? And to get somebody else's perspective is huge. I had a conversation with somebody earlier this week, and uh, she said, you know, sometimes you cannot see the water you're swimming in, or you, or basically you can never see the water you're swimming in. Mm-hmm. I mean, the rest of the world can kind of see what you're swimming in. They can see the maze that you're in or whatever. Whatever analogy or metaphor you want to use, they can see it. You can't. And you're, you talked about blind spots. You know, we all have blind spots. Yeah. Everybody has blind spots. Everybody. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a percentage of the population that do- don't think they have a blind spot. They're not a good client for you as a coach. There's a percentage of the population that has blind spots, but doesn't care. <laughs> blind spots, right? right? They're not a good client for you. Mm-hmm. There are people who have blind spots and they want to know, but they want to see themselves. Mm-hmm. And they're not necessarily, they're probably ultimately a candidate for you. But the people who are a good candidate for you are the people who, well, everyone has blind spots. They, they have blind spots. They know they have blind spots. They know they need to address those blind spots. Mm-hmm. And they know they need somebody to help them do it. I don't know how big that population is, but those are the people. You're not going to yeah. convince the person. Absolutely. They don't have a blind spot. Just let no. them go. That's why the Michael Jordans become the Michael Jordans and the Joe Franks don't. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Right? Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, reality is one thing I learned early on in my personal journey and my professional journey is when you're part of the problem, you can never be part of the solution. Yeah. Because the brain that created that reality is incapable of creating any other reality unless that brain changes. Yeah. So... This is my favorite question to ask. It's my signature question because it's also the namesake of my podcast. What Uh does selling without selling mean to you? You know what? I love to shop. You know, I love to go to Home Depot and walk around and look at things and think of the possibilities. Mm -hmm. Lots of stores. I, you know, like to go to sporting goods stores and things like that. I I love to shop. I enjoy buying. I do not want to be sold. I don't. I just don't. And to be successful, you need to just create enough value in the world that people want to come to you, that you got to get on the radar in a very quiet way, but you can't be so overt that it turns them off. You just can't. And I tell people with my organization, with the franchises I sell, I tell people, I'm not going to hound you. It's not Mm -hmm. that I'm not interested. I would very much love to have you as a member or a 
a franchisee, but I'm not going to hound you because I want this to be a relationship. I want this to be a relationship that's going to last 30 years, perhaps. And so if you have questions, great, but I'm not going to hit you with the big close, right? Mm -hmm. Like you want to buy on Tuesday or Thursday? It's like, uh, come on, I'm not dumb. (laughs) I know, right? The double bind. (laughs) Yes. Come on. Did that ever Mm -hmm. work? I don't know. (laughs) Alternative choice questions. Yeah. It's the technique. That's it. (laughs) Yeah. Since you brought that up, I'm really curious. What do you think is more important in selling and being successful, mindset or skill set? Oh, I think it's mindset. I think it's mindset. It's uh, what's the saying? People do business. This is a John Maxwell. Love him as well. Mm -hmm. People do business with those they know, like, and trust. All Mm -hmm. things being equal, they do business with those they know, like, and trust. Mm -hmm. All things being unequal, they do business with those they know, like, and trust. And my perfect example of that is car insurance, right? Mm -hmm. I can go online right now and I can get cheaper car insurance than I have. In a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. Yeah. You know what? But I can't get my insurance agent that I can call and just say, hey, what's up? Can mm-hmm. you help me? Mm-hmm. You know, he's got my home policy as well. Hey, you know, some pump broke. We got a flood. Just, you know, don't worry about it, Frank. Take care of it. You know, mm-hmm. just, just go about your day. I will mm-hmm. take care of it. Okay, great. I yeah. want to be on hold. You know, I know him. I like him. I trust him. You know, mechanic, same thing. I found a mechanic that I know I like, I trust. I have to drive probably past six or seven mechanics to get there. <laughs> it's not totally convenient. And, you know, depending upon his schedule, he'll give me a loaner or just, you know, we make it work out for me. But it's no like and trust. And I don't I don't shop it. Mm-hmm. I don't shop it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. So this is my next round of our podcast. It's one of my favorite rounds because I believe that success leaves clues. So that means that my listeners know what's coming. And because success leaves clues, I like to help our listeners understand how our successful guests do things, process information, live their lives, whatever, so that if any of it resonates with them, they can pick pieces out and incorporate it into their life. Right. So that way they can inevitably start growing their success by incorporating different behaviors. So what does your morning routine look like? Oh, boy. I will tell you. I tell people there's a lot of weird things about Frank Egan. (laughs) (laughs) I think we're going to get into him here. My alarm goes off at 445 every day and I take the dog for a walk. Mm -hmm. My wife gets it. We're out the door about five o'clock. Rain or shine, the dog needs to, the dog needs to go to the bathroom. Where we live in the Midwest, we have some horrible weather, and it's it's got to be really bad. The only day I can think of in the last year, there was a day that it was raining so hard. By the time we got to the end of our street, we were just soaked, and I was like, "This is stupid." You know, <laughs> there was a monsoon at the a flood at the end of the street. We walked the dog for about four miles, and then come home, and uh, we. Uh, push-ups, lift weights, core exercises for about 20 minutes or so, you know, five days a week, we'll do that. On a normal day, get up and, or excuse me, not get up, get, you know, get showered up, get cleaned up and I'm in the car and off to, in the COVID environment, I get to the office. You know, even in this environment, I'm a stickler for showering, shaving, dressing up. I don't know if people are going to see, I wear a sport coat to to work Mm -hmm. just because I don't know who I'm going to encounter. And I just want to, I want to play the part. I don't, I don't want to be the Oh, feel sorry for me because I'm, you know, stuck here. I, you mm-hmm. know, I want to just play the part. But outside the COVID world, I'm off to 
chapter meeting of Amspirit Business Connections. So that's, you know, about nine o'clock. Yeah. So, you know, one, it's funny because one of the common things I see from most people across the board when I ask that question is they're early risers. Yeah. Yeah. So my next question in the random round is how do you decompress and how do you recharge? I don't do vacation. I'm horrible with vacation. My okay. last real vacation was my honeymoon and I got married 26 years ago. <laughs> uh, now I live in Columbus, Ohio, and my family lives in Michigan, Minnesota, Florida. They're all and my wife's kind of the same way. So a lot of our time off is going to see family and it's not necessarily vacation, vacation. Mm-hmm. But what I really love to decompress and haven't been able to recently is go to the movies. I will tell my assistant It'd be noon, 1130. I'll look at the movie schedule. I'll say, Mary, I'm going on vacation for two hours. And she (laughs) knows exactly what I mean. What are you going to see? And, um, but you know, I I wear a Fitbit and it keeps track of my sleep and I get so relaxed at a movie that my Fitbit thinks I'm asleep. It gives me credit for sleeping. That's how relaxed I get at those movies. And I come out and I'm just, I'm a different person. Wow. Um, it doesn't work as well when I'm watching movies at home. The dog needs something or, yeah. you know, it's just, there's distractions. Yeah. Um, but getting into a movie theater and just kind of, especially in the hot summer months when you can just kind of really cool off. I love it. that. I love that. So last question in the random realm. If you could sit on a park bench with someone, past or present, and talk to them for an hour, who would it be and why? You know, I would probably, that's a good question. I would love to talk to my great-grandfather. Never met him. My great-grandfather lived in Croatia, what was Yugoslavia. Mm -hmm. And when my grandfather was 18 years old, he put him on a boat, called in a favor to get him on a boat to get him to the United States, knowing he would never see his son again. That's, that's courage. That's love. And that's courage, right? Because, you know, that's, that's a total selfless act. And just to now he he speaks Croatian and the the language barrier would have to be something, but just kind of just what led up to that and what became of it afterwards. I mean, I think they communicated. They did communicate in time. Where letters were written and phone calls were made. But you know, this was all in the uh, in the late twenties, nineteen twenties. But just for that to happen, you know, my son moved from Columbus, Ohio to. Miami, Florida. And for me, that was gut wrenching. Right. Um, but I, I consoled myself in that thought that I will see him again. I will mm-hmm. see him. I can see him. But my grandfather never went back because for the longest time, Yugoslavia was a communist country. And if he went mm-hmm. back, he would be he wouldn't be able to get back to the United States. So I would love to have that conversation. Oh, I love that answer. Thank you so much. So now we see where you get your entrepreneurial spirit from, because let's face it, it takes uh, foresight, vision, and courage to become an entrepreneur. And it sounds like you got that from your great-grandfather. Possibly, yep. Frank, it's been really awesome. It's been a really awesome conversation. I appreciate you coming on the show. Before we head out, what's the best way for our listeners to get a hold of you if they want to connect with you? Well, the easiest way, you know, it's a funny thing you say this because I was thinking the other day, it's like, man, there's like a million different ways that people get a hold of us anymore. It used to be they <laughs> yes. could just call, right? They yep. call your home phone number. Now it's home phone number cell, mm-hmm. you know, LinkedIn message, Facebook, email, text. It's just, it's overwhelming. But anyhow, to answer your question, I have a website, 
frankagan.com. It expands a little bit on, on my bio, but it links to my business, Am Spirit Business Connections. It links to my podcasts. It links to me on LinkedIn. It links to me on Facebook. It links to me on Twitter. So it's really kind of a one. You choose how you want to talk to me. It's all right there. Fantastic. It shows my books. So if you want to order a book, it's all right there. Fantastic. Frank, I know you're busy. I appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks so much. I've had a fantastic time talking with you today. Your success is important to me, and it's also important to me to make sure that these episodes are valuable to you. I would love for you to do two things right now. First, I would love if you would head over to Facebook and join our Sell Without Selling community. That's head over to Facebook and join our Sell Without Selling community. And second, I would love to chat with you, give feedback on the episodes and find out any topics you're interested in to help make this more powerful and helpful to you achieving the success you have always dreamed of, desired, and deserved. Head over to pivotpointadvantage.com slash talk to Stacy. That's pivotpointadvantage.com slash talk to Stacy. Let's get a 15 minute call on the schedule. Always remember this. Choice is a powerful thing and suffering is always optional. Get out of your way so you can get on your way so you can finally have your way. Thanks so much for listening. I look forward to talking with you soon. Whether it's mastering your mindset, communication, or success, we have more ways to keep you on your journey to greatness. Be sure to visit us at pivotpointadvantage.com for exclusive online training programs, success-specific courses, and more ways to connect to Stacy directly to help you achieve the financial success you've always desired, dreamed, and deserved. That's all available on pivotpointadvantage.com.